everybody to another episode of the Bolt from the Blue podcast. There's a lot to talk about in this particular episode. We've got the game against Fulham. We've got um, Fernandinho. We've got Leroy Sané. We've got uh, all kinds of things to talk about. We'll start off talking about Pep. But before we do that, let's introduce our two Blue brothers here. First of all, we've got Ray from the YouTube channel City Fan TV. Ray, how are you doing? Oh, Mike, um, I'm doing very well. And uh, just just got back in time for the pod. We've also got King of the Kipex writer and also City Matters committee member Colin Savage. Colin, how are you? Well, I'm not too bad. (laughs) Is that good enough? (laughs) Okay. Well, guys, I think uh, the thing that I wanted to start off with is is the thing probably that's been talked about uh, so much uh, on Twitter, on social media, and that is um, Pep's comments to the media, which have been walked back slightly, I think, by our manager about the lack of numbers in attendance in uh, the recent uh, FA Cup fourth round game. And uh, I'm sure you guys have got uh, lots of things to say about this, as a lot of City fans have done. So let's start off with um, Colin Savage and and ask Colin. He's got a little bit of form for this, um, uh, Pep. And uh, do you understand where he's coming from with this? I I understand where he's coming from on that. You know, when it was a... There were reasons why it was a very lackluster game on on, uh, Sunday... Uh, but I think he's, um, I, I don't think he understands the fan base. Now, we, uh, and we were talking about this, we were all quite a little bit annoyed. He's quite entitled to ask the fans to support the team, I think. But I think it's the way you do it. And of course, what he then does, brings himself up to questions, you know, querying the quality of city support and, and the number of seats. And a lot of city fans have said that, although we love Pep, we love what he's brought we don't really have the same connection we had with, say, um, Roberto Mancini or Sven or someone like that. There's the, you know, the, the Catalan group against the City fans and that they really do not understand our fan base. Pep and Barcelona often have 25,000, 30,000 empty seats if they weren't playing Real Madrid. You know, German support is better. That's a cultural thing when he was at Bayern. But, you know, in both cases, Barcelona weren't necessarily a totally successful club to the level he took them to. But in both cases, they were pretty big clubs he took over, uh, well known all around the world. And he's come to City. We're a club that's had a, um, a solid, loyal, working class support. And all of a sudden, it's gone from... We're playing, you know, 19 Premier League games and maybe we'd get a couple of home cup games before we made an um, ignominious exit in the third or fourth round of the FA Cup. Um, so, you know, we're talking about 21, 22 games a season. 
Now we're looking at 30 games a season. As I've gone up, you know, Champions League games. You know, we're going to Wembley. You know, we had, um, what, four Wembley trips from end of February to uh, August. FA Cup semi-final, FA Cup final, Community Shield. You know, hopefully we'll have another Wembley trip coming up in a month's time. You know, I, I don't think he understands that yeah, we still have a fairly finite fan base. And uh, Ray, I'm just going to bring you in at this point because I think one of the things that City fans are a little bit annoyed about is that, of course, we get this from other teams, fans, and and from the media. And and to a certain extent, Pep has just given them more fuel to the fire. It, it seems obvious in some respects that Pep doesn't understand the broad fan base and how what he says can uh, impact upon us. Uh, said other fans just take the mick out of us about the empty had, uh, about whatever they can they can find to take the mick out of us. I mean, my feeling is, who has Pep to say that? Is it just Pep saying that off his own bat? Bullies like Ferran saying, look, you know, we, we, we could have had another 12,000 there, 15 quid a pop, that's 180 grand. And the money men saying something, whispering in Pep's ear, and then Pep's coming out and he ends up going a little bit too far because that did seem to hit a raw note with a lot of City fans. And it's interesting what, what um, Colin said about um, people's affinity for maybe Mancini rather than Pep. When I did the um, the team of the decade, and I did a manager of the decade as well, Pep won it, which is what you'd expect. But whereas a lot of the players who were winning their positions were getting 90% plus of the vote, Pep only got three quarters of the vote. The fans have still got that love of... Uh, Roberto Mancini, feeling that he understood the fan base more. He knew how much we, we were hurting in Man- Manchester United's shadow. And, and Pep, you know, to come out and say what he did and the way he said it, and now he's apologised. The apology seems not as sincere. I think the apology had to come out because of, you know, you know, you had so many people uh, across all levels um, unhappy about this. Kevin Parker uh, put out a statement coming out um, and, and, and criticising Pep, basically, for what he'd said. So he had to put out some sort of apology or uh, explanation. And he did that today, which... Uh, and that's my, my question goes back to, you know, who's asked him to say this? Who did, Like Colin said again, did he say anything at Barcelona? When you look at his four years at Barcelona, now they had a, a capacity of 99 stroke 100,000. Well, when Pep was there, his first season, they averaged 71,000. That's almost 30,000 short capacity. It did increase the following seasons to 77 and 79, but that's still only three quarters full. Um, and I, I can understand some jealousy or envy from the, the big wigs at City at match day income when they look at Liverpool down the road, they look at Arsenal, they look at Chelsea and Spurs, who are charging sometimes at least double on tickets. And obviously they're running as City as a business. Um, they need to make, they want it to break even, which it's not doing at the moment without uh, the benefit of the transfer uh, profit um, would be running at a loss. Um, I think uh, last year was, I think Colin said it was 28 million uh, without the transfer activity that we, we we were involved with. All these other clubs who are making a lot more money and they want some of that as well. And I think they'll just, it's inevitable that they will squeeze the fans, the loyal fans who've been through it thick and thin. I think that's inevitable as um, we go forwards. Well, guys, this uh, this whole uh, conversation that we've had was precipitated, of course, by the game against Fulham, City 4, Fulham uh, nil. And uh, I'm sure both of you guys were there on uh, Sunday. I, I remember in a previous pod, uh, Colin, you were talking Fulham up a little bit and, and saying that, you know, they were perhaps the... <laughs> the coming force in the championship. It didn't help, of course, that after six minutes, um, 
they got a red card and went down to 10 men and, and that kind of obviously had a, a bit of an effect on them. How did you feel about this game, particularly the first half? Well, yeah, obviously that, that, that game was effectively over, you know, within the first 10 minutes, wasn't it? And um, I think we've had the conversation before on the pod about um, the double jeopardy rule, red card and a penalty. I, I'm not a fan of that. I know the rule has changed slightly for the better in that uh, if a player was to make a genuine attempt to play the ball then he won't be given a red card for denial of a clear goal scoring opportunity it's a bit of a grey area isn't it but I still think if you're given a penalty regardless of whether the player was trying to play the ball or not if you've given a penalty you've restored the goal scoring opportunity and therefore why punish the player twice Uh, unless he's committed a red card offence so if he'd done something that would have earned him a red card outside the penalty area for something other than denial of a clear costing or opportunity, then fair enough, give him a red card. No problem with that one. But I'm still not in favour of the double jeopardy rule. But, you know, that's the rule. What I was disappointed with Fulham was that, I say, I did talk them up. They're the third, I think the fourth after tonight's game, but they didn't play. Um, you know, the fourth, they're in the top four in the championship. And I thought, you know, to get to the top four in the championship, you've got to have something about you. But I didn't see anything about Fulham on Sunday. Nothing at all. The number of times they either gave the ball away needlessly or were um, robbed uh, by City players because they were dwelling on the ball and doing nothing with it was just astonishing. And and, and to me, once they once they went that goal down, once uh, once they went to, down to 10 men, they just wanted to get off the field as quickly as possible. And I think there was quite a funny comment on the, um, I was looking at half-time on the BBC tech service because one of the benefits of only having, having 40,000 in the ground is that the Wi-Fi is better. And um, one of the comments was, if the referee uh, went into the dressing room and asked both managers if they wanted to call it quits at that point, both would probably have said yes. So you you could see Fulham. It was interesting watching Fulham trying to play football in some ways the way we play it, trying to play out from the back. When you come up against the experts, you're going to get found out if you're not absolutely on it. And they weren't on it. So so the guy who was on loan from Chelsea, uh, um, fullback, I forget his name. Just let me check my lineups. He just got caught. He had no idea what to do at all when he was on the ball. Hector. So how could I forget that? He had no idea what to do at all, what to do when he was on the ball. Uh, and no doubt, actually, no doubt the captain, Reem, Thought it was a safe bet giving us a penalty, given our history in the last few games of taking penalties. So I bet he got a shot when we scored it. Um, well, he didn't yeah. realise that Gundogan was on the pitch. He, yeah. he didn't yeah. know was on the pitch. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I was very disappointed with Fulham because they just collapsed. You know, they went to sleep, just wanted to get home, get back to London as quickly as possible. And, um, you know, it's, whether they're, you know, they're happy to focus on the, the championship rate, I don't know, but having sought them up, I thought they were very disappointing. No, look, it, and I don't want to sound churlish or arrogant or, or anything else. We won 4-0 in the fourth round of the FA Cup, through to the next round. You know, you've got to be happy. And yes, I'm happy to win, but I was disappointed a little bit with our performance, but very much so with Fulham's because I was expecting a tough game from Fulham. Yes, as we've already said, Losing the the captain after six minutes and going a goal down was really tough. But they've made no effort. They made no attempts to to do much. They, I think they started off okay. They were trying to press, uh, uh, but their press was ineffective against uh, our experts at the back. Um, but after that, after that goal, um, the sending off, they offered very little 
threat whatsoever. And we just, let's be honest, we just coursed through that game. Uh, we took it easy. Um, you know, and we, we in, in the second half, Pep even had the audacity to rest Mares, take him off after four or five minutes of the second half. Uh, did puzzle me because if why would you leave him on for four or five minutes and then take him off? I don't understand that. Um, but I think he got a knock though, didn't he? Did he? I, I didn't realise that because he, you know, yeah. he's fit for the for the next for the game against United. But I, I just thought it was, it was a very easy game. It was a training game, and it was you know people were leaving early because um, um, it was just such an easy game uh, for us. Um, it, and dare I say, I, mean, I will say it, it was boring. It was boring because was, yeah. Fulham put up nothing. Fulham put up nothing, and it was just like, and we weren't uh, going out to, to batter them. If, if, if see, it's still an enter- It can still, for me anyway, be entertaining if City are, are ruthless and going out to 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 score six, seven, eight goals. Um, maybe harsh on Fulham, but it, it still has that entertainment factor uh, in terms of. Uh, the effort and 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 um, and the skill factor, but it was just passing it around, passing it around, passing it around, and waiting for Fulham to make a mistake. Their, their passing at the back was bound to uh, uh, lead to a goal for us, which it did uh, uh, towards the end of the game. But as I said, I, I was was quite bored uh, by the end of that game. Any standout performers for you in particular, Colin? Uh, well, I, I actually thought um, David Silva had one of the best games he's had for us for a while. Um, I uh, Garcia was excellent. Otamendi looked good. But, I mean, they weren't really they weren't really tested, were they? Um, I, th- I thought a lot of players were just in first gear, to be honest. And um, David Silva, it suited that game suited him because the, the games that don't suit him are the games where you get you know two lines of four or a four and a five very close together, and he has no space to operate. But he, he did have. Fulham you know, tried to play football the way we play it to a certain degree. He had space between the lines. And it, it, yeah, it wasn't a vintage David Silver performance, but it was a good one. Ray, what about uh, Gabriel Jesus for you? Because uh, this statistic is uh, coming up um, regularly uh, as it increases. He scored um, 56 goals and assisted 17 more in seven, 78 starts for City in all competitions uh, those stats make him look mm-hmm. very very good Do- obviously doesn't have the offside uh, stats in there <laughs> look I, I don't think he I don't think he did much that game he had two chances two decent headers let's be honest they were on a uh, gifted to him on a plate the second one especially the goalkeeper was on the floor when he uh, headed it in he was just getting up the first one it was all about the cross Gabby Jesus was left unmarked and he just had to uh, head it into the ground into the net so I don't think he did it wasn't a fantastic performance. I think when I give ratings out, I think I give him a seven um, because he was just functional and he scored his goals. Um, it'd be interesting to see his goals and assists in the Premier League alone because scoring four goals against Burton and a couple of goals against Oxford or um, who else, Rotherham or something, can slightly uh, inflate those numbers a little bit. So I be, believe they call it stat padding. I think that's the word. <laughs> Colin gets the right in there to the thrust of it straight away. Stat padding. It is a flat track bully, so to speak. So um, it'd be interesting to see what the stats are for his uh, goals and assists just in the Premier League. But look, it's, it, they're good numbers. They're good numbers. But let's be honest, if he wasn't getting good numbers at City, uh, he'd be out on his ear. 
Who would have been your man of the match, Ray? Who was your man of the match? Um, I thought it's it very hard. I thought Gundogan was all right. I, I, I like you said, Colin. I thought Garcia had a decent game. Uh, there's one tackle I love from him where he just stuck out his leg. He came kind of sliding in with his whole leg, and there's no way that that fellow was going past. So I thought, uh, yeah, um, Garcia had a decent game, but like you said, they didn't have much to do. Gundogan was all right. As you said, once again, I feel like a parrot, but they didn't really have that much to do, you know, in terms of defensive wise, and they weren't pressurized that much. They were given time and space. When you're given time and space, you can do all sorts. And just to let you know, Gabby's stats are 36 goals, 14 assists in the Premier League. That's 50 in 88 appearances. Wow. So it doesn't sound um, as good, but it's not bad. Well, I think this is what you would expect from um, your number two. So uh, as a number two, the stats are pretty good. And in fact, uh, this game, um, the result of this game marked another little uh, record for us uh, because uh, City became the first team to score four or more goals in six consecutive home FA Cup matches since since Luton Town in December 1928. So that's a very, very interesting one. And... We have learned who our opponents are in the next round, Colin. Who are they? And tell us what you know about they them. They are Sheffield Wednesday. And I know they come from Sheffield. And of course, they play Hillsborough. I have been there. I think it might have been either for a cup game or a pre-season friendly. Definitely been there. I'm pretty sure it was a pre-season friendly. Um, I'm not getting confused. I know I'm not getting confused with Sheffield United, where we did play in the FA Cup. And uh, a balloon scored a goal, which is pretty typical City. Um, you know they were a decent again a decent championship team uh, on their on their own home ground uh, and again well it, perhaps if I if I um, repeat my belief that they will give us a tough game because they, you know, they'll be in front of the home crowd I mean Fulham I, I don't understand why the club did this why they put Fulham fans up in the third tier of the South Stand they must have known from past experience that Fulham weren't going to bring much more than a thousand two thousand we could have given them the normal away allocation yeah. in the um, South Stand level one level two uh, and then had City fans in level three they, they wouldn't have filled that even so uh, and I think that that kind of detracted from the atmosphere but obviously there will be a great atmosphere there I'm pretty sure they'll get a, uh, a full house at Hillsborough uh, we, we should get I don't know uh, 6,000 tickets maybe I'm not sure um, yeah so I yeah the way it works is you get supposed to, you're supposed to get 15% on the away team that's the allocation Hillsborough these days is 39,700 something like that just under 40,000 so we should get 6,000 it might be if they don't think they're going to sell 34,000 tickets they might give us a few more um, because it's, at the end of the day that money comes up again you know if they don't think they can sell out and, and City they think City could sell another 2,000 well that's all extra money for, for them so yeah the only issue is of course the game will be a Wednesday night yeah oh, well, yeah it will be Wednesday won't it yeah I'm not um, not not a fan of that. of that straight away straight away that means I'm not going uh, and that's just a personal thing because I've got my kids to look after and straight away it means they can't go you know, if we were getting six or seven thousand tickets on a Saturday or a Sunday, then I would have taken at least one of my lads to, to that game. It's a shame. Uh, again, another decent game um, like the away game at United in the in the Carabao Cup. They couldn't go, and it's a shame they're not going to go. Yeah, and I just want to tell you a little bit about, about Wednesday. They were actually doing pretty well in the Championship, and they've lost at least in the in the league at least five of their last six games. Uh, they're sitting in 11th, I think five points, four or five points outside 
um, the playoffs. But they lost tonight 2-1 to uh, away at Wigan. Uh, if you forget about the FA Cup game to beat uh, QPR at the weekend, but prior to that, they lost 5-0 at home to Blackburn Rovers. They beat Leeds, who have been stumbling for a while, 2-0 away. Um, they lost to Hull at home. So they've had a, a pretty bad uh, January at home in the league where they've lost two games. Um, before that, they've lost in the championship. This is going back into December at home uh, against Cardiff. They lost in the championship on Boxing Day away at Stoke. Um, so they've had a, a pretty, pretty torrid time since basically, they must have had a bad Christmas because before Christmas they were doing really well and since Christmas they've really, really struggled. That's great knowledge. Thank you for that, Ray. And um, it's almost going to be like a carbon copy of the question uh, to Colin that I just asked him. And that is, before we started recording the pod uh, tonight, we learned um, who our next opponent is going to be should we prevail against Scumchester United in the uh, the replay that's coming up um, very, very quickly. Tell us who our opponent will be, how they got there, and, and what do you think about them? Uh, well, our opponents are Aston Villa, of course, and um, they got there by beating Leicester with a very dramatic um, injury time winning goal. Um, they were level after the first leg at, at Leicester. They went ahead quite early on in the first half. Leicester drew level about 75 minutes and uh, looked a more likely winner, to be honest, but um, Villa somehow got a free kick in the last minute, hoofed it up, and uh, the ball ended up in the back of the Leicester net. So uh, good for them. I'd certainly rather play them than Leicester, I think. But um, the interesting thing is it, it kind of brings back memories because um, when City played in the FA Cup final in 1969, we played Leicester, who were relegated. I think they, they were relegated that season. And of course, in 2013, we played Wigan, who were relegated in the FA Cup final. It's looking a bit like Villa will be relegated this season, although shouldn't write them off too early. We owe them. And talk about bearing grudges. Someone was laughing at this. In 1904, <laughs> we played them, I think it was the last game of the season or, or penultimate game of the season. We were in the FA Cup final, which we ultimately won. Uh, we were in, in with a, a chance, not not a big chance. We weren't favourites of winning the league, but we had to beat Villa. Yeah. And um, it was a pretty horrendous game. Um, pretty um, terse Quite a bit of violence. Uh, apparently players throwing mud at each other. Uh, but but the explosion came after the game. The lid blew off after the game when the Villa captain, Alec Leake, claimed that Billy Meredith, the city captain, had offered him money to throw the game. This accusation, although Meredith said he was joking, uh, there's, no, uh, there's no particular evidence that there was any attempt to offer them, offer them money. But the, the accusation led to an investigation by the FA to give you a little bit of the context, City at Villa at that time were footballing aristocracy, if you like. You know, a bit like United and Liverpool consider their footballing aristocracy today. And City were the nouveau rich, bit cocky, ambitious upstarts. And there was a lot of uh, ill feeling in the media or in the newspapers against Manchester City at the time. So the FA were only too glad. And it's amazing how the more things change, the more things stay the same. The FA were only too glad to undertake an investigation into City, which which broadened into illegal payments to players. Uh, and, and Meredith eventually got was um, felt very aggrieved by his treatment by City. And he, he ratted on them. 
So he basically blew the lid on illegal payments to players. And the club nearly finished at that point. So we'd been formed in 1894. 19, well, 1906, uh, by the time the FA had done the second investigation, was, was pretty well the finish of us. And well, nearly the finish of us could have been. And we, we, a load of players were banned. A load of officials were banned. We had to sell a load of players. And funnily enough, uh, United got um, a sneak preview of some of those players, bought players like Meredith and his, um, or oh, can't remember his striking partner. Should I should know this. I've written about it enough times. Anyway, but they bought a, a few players from us. And under Ernest Magnall, who came, then came to us later on, they went into their first successful period. So, and that was all down to Villa. So we need to give them a Watford style whopping, <laughs> um, trouncing to get over the, the shame of 1904. Can I ask you, Colin, have you still got your tickets done from that game? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, accusations array of more easy draws for uh, Man City. Are, are you happy with um, th- this brace of opponents we've got for the uh, uh, cup competitions? Uh, can't complain. Can't complain. I mean, look, yeah, for all these fans who want to have a pop at City and say we get easy draws, you've got to be in it to get these easy draws. And if you're going to play um, second stringers and not take these seriously, then who the hell are you to complain when City end up with a so-called easy draw? I mean... Let's go back a couple of rounds. Aston Villa, they beat Liverpool. Now, if Liverpool had been Villa, it might have been Liverpool in the final. So don't talk about easy draws. And it, no one ever said anything about easy draws. It's always, a, it's always a standard way. In the Champions League, when we were playing, every single season we are playing the likes of Bayern Munich, Real Madrid, Barcelona, a bit more Bayern Munich, another Barcelona, a bit more Bayern Munich. Now, we were having tough groups to try and squeeze to when you got these opponents. No one was ever saying anything about that. No one says anything about you know, when we've gone through uh, times when we've had tough draws uh, for a, a few seasons. No one says anything. It always comes out when we've got these easy draws. And it's, look, it's boring um, and it's a total waste of time. Get firing competitions. Take them seriously. Don't disrespect them. And then maybe you might get an easy draw. Yeah, yeah Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't say that an away game at a decent championship team is an easy draw. It, it's um, the sort of draw that, cup, well, obviously not a cup, not cup shock, but uh, no, it would be a shock, wouldn't it? If Sheffield went to beat us. But it, it's like the game we had at Preston in the League Cup. And um, you know, that wasn't an easy game. Uh, we prevailed, but it, it could have been, it could have gone the other way. Quite easily. Just um, curious about your uh, particular stance on uh, Jurgen Klopp and his decision to not turn up there to either to to field um, any of his first eleven or or to appear himself in Liverpool's uh, next game against uh, Shrewsbury, isn't it? Yeah, well, he can get stuff, can't he? I think that's the polite way of saying it. Um, look, it, I can understand from one aspect that. In the Premier League have got this break of whatever 14, 16 days, and they've they've asked that no games are played, uh, that the clubs don't go off and start playing um, games overseas or whatever to make some money, and that it's actually a, a break. But we also knew um, that replays would have had to play be played in uh, that period of time. If Klopp really wanted to, he should have put out a better team. His team should have won against Shrewsbury when they were winning 2-0 um, and he should have made sure they won you know I think yeah it's, there is a, a slight whiff of uh, disrespect from her Klopp I mean go back two or three years 
Liverpool would be dying to uh, put out the best team to get through against Shrewsbury. They'd have been dying to beat Aston Villa in the League Cup. They'd have done anything because they were winning now. Now, they've won, you know, they got to the final of the Champions League. They've won the Champions League. Now they're like Billy Big Bollocks. You know, we don't have to take any of these little competitions seriously. And Pepper's got a little bit of disrespect for the League Cup, but also he likes to win it because it's, you, you get it won end of February, beginning of March, nice and early, put it to bed before the Champions League starts again. But it is disrespectful, you know, that he's not even going to turn up in the dugout um, for that game. I think, you know, yes, go ahead, play the kids and whatever for the reasons you've given. I don't have an issue, massive issue with that. You can say it's disrespectful, but you can also turn around and say he's protecting his players. You can argue it whichever way you want. And uh, depending on the colour of your tinted specs, uh, that's your argument. But not to be in the dugout, not to manage the team. You know, if it, he should, if he, he should have been there with his um, the the U team coach, they should have been there together at least. But just to you know, uh, not be uh, in the dugout, I, I think that's wrong. If it Sorry. was anyone but Liverpool, you might have some sympathy. But those buggers have had a midweek, a mid-season break. Yeah. You know, they flew off to Doha, played a couple of. Uh, well, meaningless friendlies. Exactly. For, for the, purely for money. They went to Doha. Yes, they can argue about the prestige and everything else. But I think winning the Club World Champ- Cup Championship, whatever they want to call it, Tim Pot Trophy against, uh, I'm not going to call them farmers, but not great teams. But they got, was it five, six, seven million quid? If they'd won the, I think if you win the Carabao Cup, you get a hundred grand. <laughs> Something ridiculous like that. So they're going off there a little bit for the prestige, but they're going there purely for the money. Uh, and that's it. So they're quite happy to take their players, uh, you know, uh, halfway across the world for a couple of weeks, 10 days, whatever, all that jet lag and whatever they want to say. And they're ha- quite happy to do that, but they're not happy enough to, to play these guys, whatever, two or three days into the, winter break when they're going to get 14 to 16 days uh, you know it's once again it comes back to money it's money's dictating a lot of this and it's, it's financially they're not bothered about the FA Cup because what's the FA Cup what's the FA Cup going to get them Champions League is going to get them a heck of a lot more money and they're going to do whatever it takes to earn I, mean, I don't know what they could earn from the rest of the Champions League if you if they get knocked out in the next round they will miss out on at least I suspect 25 million pounds FA Cup is going to get you what 5 million 6 million so they're going to flip that to one side and focus on where the money is uh, Colin Savage um, I just um, wonder, wondered if you had uh, any information for us or any updates on the um, the Liverpool hacking scandal that seems to have um, died a little bit of a death in the media if it ever got any life in fact it's actually um, uh, made uh, quite a lot of City fans uh, irritated that um, there's, there seems to be a bit of a blackout on this issue what do you think? Well one thing I can say, um, one thing I can't say, one thing I can say is that uh, my understanding is that um, the legal bods, the general counsel at various papers, are nervous about running this story because they don't have a direct source. So basically, picking up the time story uh, is not regarded as legally safe. Now, given that the paper like the Mail makes a very good living out of doing exactly that, picking up other people's stories, but I think I think there's probably more of a legal risk in doing that. So that that's possibly why we're not hearing a bit more of it. But I, I also think, perhaps with good reason, 
that th there is more to come on this, a lot sure. more to come. It's not legally actionable. And I think that the danger here is, uh, I think Liverpool's lawyers are probably still on the case. And I think if they if they haven't got a source, they can't justify their source. But I, I don't know. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a newspaper person. It, it's a story I've heard that the lawyers are still sitting on this to a, to a degree. Um, I, say, I think there's more to come on this. And just to explain, I'm, people have forgotten. The, the accusation is that two employees left City to go to Liverpool. And when they were there, there's a, a, a database or system, IT system called Scout 7. Now, now, it's not a system that sits at City on a server. It's a system that I believe sits in the cloud. So it's, it's every, each club has its own, what you might call partition on that system, which supposedly is secure from anyone else. But, but what these two guys did, of course, when they left, typical IT security means you take their logins away. But it, it appears they had the login of someone who was still at City. Now, quite how they got that, I don't know. And, and perhaps City, I'm sure City have asked questions uh, of the, um, of the people concerned. But they use that to, to, to basically gain access to City's database. And there's been a lot of talk about, well, is that really, you know, it's a bit unethical, but but so what? Well, no, because the Computer Misuse Act 2006, I'm not sure, specifies three types of criminal offence regarding unauthorised access to a computer system. There is no doubt whatsoever that this constitutes unauthorised access to a computer system because as Employees of another club, having had their logins taken away, they were not authorised to access the system. FSG, who own Liverpool, also are the Boston Red Sox. The Boston Red Sox are also mired in a, a cheating controversy at the moment. Uh, not hacking in, but basically they've been what they call stealing the um, the signs that the bowling or the pitching team used to communicate between the, the backstop and the, the guy pitching. So, so the pitcher will give the, 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 sorry, the backstop will give the pitcher a sign of what ball to play and, uh, the pitcher will do that. So, uh, Boston Red Sox, the general manager of the Boston Red Sox, who'd come from the Houston Astros, who'd also, who'd won the World Series, which is kind of like their, their equivalent of the, the Premier League. Um, he'd left them. I'm not sure if he left them under a cloud uh, and whether Boston Red Sox knew that when he left. But Cora, uh, the, the guy who involved, left the Astros, who were World Series winners, and went to the Boston Red Sox. And, um, so, and he carried this on. And the Boston Red Sox won the World Series a um, couple of seasons ago. So, so Cora's been fired by the Boston Red Sox, and the uh, MLB are investigating the whole thing. Um, they, they find the Houston Astros quite a bit of money. and the, the, It's a bit like the Premier, the, a bit like UEFA sanctions. Um, that they imposed on us for FFP. They've imposed a set of sanctions on them. I've seen it argued that the sanctions aren't particularly onerous, but um, I'm not sure what else is going on there. So, so you've got these two parallel threads where you've got two sporting clubs owned by the same owner are uh, both mired in basically cheating scandals. And you do wonder whether there's a completely amoral win at all costs means justifies the end culture at, at, at that company uh, that, that owns those two clubs. Uh, and, the, and the other interesting thing, um, looking at this, is that John Henry, John W. Henry, who's uh, owner of FS, one of the owners of FS, FSG, therefore Liverpool and Boston Red Sox, he bought the Boston Globe, uh, the, the local newspaper, the equivalent of the Manchester Evening News. Um, I dread to think there is an equivalent to the Manchester Evening News, but apparently there is there is in Boston. 
And the New York Times had owned that. And it made heavy, New York Times paid a lot of money for it, over a billion dollars, made heavy losses. They sold it to um, Henry at a knockdown price. I don't know if it's FSG or Henry himself. I think it's Henry himself. So they sold it to him at a knockdown price. So he was buying a distressed asset, which, of course, he likes to do because that's how he came to Liverpool. So how did he plan to turn this newspaper around? Well, of course, you're going to get the brightest brains in the business to manage it. Uh, and, and according to him, the brightest brain in the newspaper business was his lovely wife, Linda who is the managing director of the Boston Globe. If you remember, when, when he was, um, Liverpool were having a bit of a dig at our Etihad deal, John W. Henry uh, rather sarcastically and snidely said, uh, what was the second highest bid? Now, you, you could turn that round and say about his appointment of his wife as the managing director of the newspaper he owned, who was second on the appointment list. <laughs> As an organisation, uh, they're not quite as uh, white, uh, whiter than white as uh, some people would uh, would have you believe. But um, I think we'll leave that one uh, there for the moment, and uh, we'll keep an eye on it and move on to something more positive, uh, Ray. And that is that something I think you predicted was that uh, Fernandinho has signed up for another year. That's great news. Uh, there's a couple of things I predicted that have happened. Fernandinho, uh, I said it. There was no doubt in my mind very early on in the season that Fernandinho was going to be offered a new contract. Uh, he deserved it. And even at the age of what, he'll be 35. He's in the absence of Emery Laporte, our best centre-back. He's the most uh, trusted centre-back that Pep uh, chooses to pick. And he'll pick him every single, almost every single game. Um, and I think it's only, you know, uh, right and proper that he gets his uh, offer of the contract extension, which he signed for 12 months. Um, you know, and, and, and all those people who said that Mares has let it slip that he was leaving at the end of the season and <laughs> the eye to them because, you know, I, ne- I personally, I never believed that. I, yeah. you know, there was more, I said, unless he'd already had a pre agreement to go somewhere else and he'd already agreed that at the beginning of the season, there was no way he was going to leave City because he's just playing too much. He's too invaluable to the team. And if you look at the statement he put out, uh, today, you know, that's the kind of statement Pep should be taking a leaf out of his book of how to be diplomatic and uh, to please the fans. Yeah, Fernandinho's got a bit of a sense of humour on him. I think uh, probably he was displaying his own little bit of sarcasm. He was actually asked about this after the Maris uh, slip about his contract situation and what the truth about it was. And he just replied very ter- tersely. Ask Mares, <laughs> but but uh, let's 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 hope it's a rolling uh, contract, guys. Because um, unless you knew this already, Fernandinho's great hero is um, Zé Roberto, Brazilian player who went on to play until he was forty-three. If we could get um, a couple more years out of uh, Fernandinho, I for one would be very very happy. And the next thing, of course, that Colin is a new player turned up to train with the first team and we saw the photographs of a brand new Leroy Sané. How do you feel about that? Well, great, fantastic. You know, because we're coming back to, uh, yeah, I think we said before, the league is gone, hasn't it really? Barring something dramatic happening, but everything to play for in the Champions League and, and FA Cup really. So, to get Leroy back and have that extra up front, up, up front because we've been, yeah, Sterling on the left is not convincing. I, I don't think, I, I'm definitely... Uh, joining that, joined that school of thought. But Morris is doing a great job on the right. Bernardo, Foden, we've tried them on the left. We've tried Gabriel Jesus on the left. Sane gives us something that we've not really had, which is the ability to, to run up players, take them on, go glide past them, put in a shot, which 
we're not really we're not really getting from any other player. Perhaps Bernardo to a to a certain degree, but um, but yeah, I mean, Leroy just gives us that little bit extra. But of course, one of the problems was uh, he wasn't playing very much because of his attitude, or supposedly because of his attitude. And, um, uh, has that changed? Has his, does he still want to go to Bayern Munich? Although one of the main uh, Bayern um, journalists was rapidly backtracking tonight. Apparently, well, not apparently. I saw it. That um, yeah, yeah, they're Bayern, changing Bayern their tune. Still want him, but but he doesn't want to come just yet. But he still wants to leave Manchester City. The Ray, the the, the one that I read was from Bilt, and it said that um, Leroy Sané has his attitude has changed a little bit towards Bayern Munich because they didn't go for him in January. They didn't display any confidence in his um, ability to recover his former levels, and that apparently has ticked him off, and he's more inclined to um, uh, sign resign with a. Uh, Manchester City. What do you think? I don't know. Anything I, in that? I don't know if there's any truth in that. It sounds like petulance. If it is petulance, you know, it's a change in attitude. Look, Leroy Sane, he, I mean, I, I've got to say, I, I did predict that he'd be uh, training with the lads by the end of January. And that's the case. I, I, I'm just thinking about when he can play for us. Uh, I'm hopeful that he can be in the squad for the game against West Ham. That's in about 12 days' time. I'm hopeful he can be there, which would mean there's a chance he'll be in the squad against Leicester, which is, I think, uh, two weeks later. That means there's a chance he'll be in the squad for Real Madrid. I'm only expecting him to play a bit part, you know, be on the bench. Uh, but it is exciting to see if he comes back. Whether he'll go to Bayern, you know, there's, there's lots of stories. Last week, there's a story that his feelings towards Man City have changed because of the support during his injury. Look, from my, my opinion is people are just putting stories out. And they just—it's a guesswork, you know. It's—it's—it's—it's it's, it's almost fifty-fifty. You can either say San is going to stay or he's going to leave. Okay, someone's taking a punt that he's going to stay, and if it comes true, he'll say, "Hey, I got it right." Um, but I think it's just a punt. And then if you say he's going to leave, then it's a punt. Is he going to buy and is he going to run else? So I just think people are putting stuff out there. Roy San and very few other people know the truth, and people just once again you know, punting stories out there. Um, and just want to, uh, you know, sit back and uh, wallow, or not wallow, but glow if if they get it right and, and sit there and say, look, I got it right, and ignore it. As usually, that's what the media do. If they get it something wrong, they took a guess, got it wrong, they just ignore the fact that they got it wrong. So I'm just glad that Leroy's um, going to be fit for his sake, and he will offer us something. I think last season, Sterling was good for the second half of the season on the left, um, but this season, he, apart from the first four or five games, he's he's just fallen off a, a cliff. And I'm, partly the reason could easily be he's had no competition. He's had nobody to threaten his position. So he doesn't have to step up to the plate. And he, he was running past players at the beginning of the season. And he just he's just failing miserably now to do that. Um, if Leroy Sani comes back, it, Leroy Sani might just look at this and say, look, and say, look, I'm going to leave City, but I'll go out with a bang. You know, there's a Carabao Cup final potentially at the end of the month. I want to play in that. We're doing, we're deep in the FA Cup. I want to play in that. And we're in the Champions League. I want a chance of winning that. So it might be that he'll come back and, and dazzle us and show everybody what he can do in his last few months at City. That's kind of how I hope it goes, that he's going to have every determination to win his place back 
and to show everybody uh, that he is one of the best players in the world. Let me just um, fire a quick question to Colin Savage here because we've had a, a listener question from one of our great supporters, a great guy called Mark Allen, and um, we were talking there about Leroy and his injury problems. Obviously, we've had Laporte out, various others. Um, I'm going to parafa- paraphrase his um, question um, ever so slightly, uh, Colin, but um, do, do you consider that... Um, City have managed the fitness of the squad adequately this season. Do you put their injury troubles down to one-off situations? And and I guess um, he's also wondering why that it seems that um, City have been unluckier with injuries than, say, Liverpool, for example. Um, well, I don't think it's necessarily a case of Liverpool have not had any injuries. They have had injuries. I mean, um, Nebi Keita, Fabinho were out for a while. I think Wijnaldum's been out, hasn't he? Um, Gomez has been out for a long time. Uh, but when you look at Liverpool, you see Van Dijk, Mane, Salah, Firmino, Henderson, the, the two fullbacks, and, and, and pretty well all of those have got through the season um, so far pretty well unscathed. Mane's out maybe for a few games. You know, I've heard Liverpool fans say to me, we've had as bad injuries of a run of injury you had. It's just that the key players, the people you regard as the key players, have been pretty lucky. And, and we, we, you know, Laporte was very key for us. And there is an argument to say, isn't there, that you lose one defender, then and your and your game goes to pieces. Then that, that's poor planning, really. But you know, if they lost Van Dijk, you know, would Lover and Matty put centre back, you know, to get through half a season? We, conceding only 14 goals. You can't see it, can you, really? I've always actually been, turn the question around, I've always been a bit critical. We always seem to have, you know, a couple of major injuries a season. And I'm never that convinced about the way we do things. And I always tell the story of um, the title winning season. And our doctor was a guy called Phil Batty, who'd been doctor at Blackburn, I think. And he'd come to us. And we we had a great season regarding injuries that season. We we were very much injury-free. And I think one of the things that, one of the reasons for that is that Dr. Batty was quite vocal about not playing players who we thought were at risk, unnecessary risk. But of course, managers would say to a doctor, give him an injection, I need 90 minutes out of him or something like that. And and the doctors would often do that. But but I say, uh, Dr. Batty, I think, wouldn't do that. He, he would stand up for the players. He fell out with Mancini, which is not the hardest thing to do in the world, I, I suspect. Uh, and he was um, given the heave after that season. He was frozen out, given the heave And since then, um, our injury record has got worse. Now, it might just be a coincidence uh, because it's not, not, you can't put it down to one manager because we've had Mancini, we've had Pellegrini, and we've had Pep. And every season, it seems, we've had someone injured for most of the season. Well, this, I mean, I'm just looking at our injuries. This season, we've had Laporte out for uh, uh, six months, Sani out for about six months. Zinchenko out for four or five weeks. We had uh, David Silver out for two or three weeks. We've had Aguero out for uh, was it four or five weeks? Yeah. And so we have, and Stones has, has been out again for two or three weeks. Been in and out, haven't they? Two, the two weeks, I'm not that worried about. Mendy. Mendy. It's when you're losing players for four or five weeks that, and then, and more than that, that I, I would consider that to be significant. If you're losing someone for one or two weeks. I don't think that's it's neither here nor there. But four, five, six weeks, three months, six months—that's that, that's you know a, a decent um, level of injury. 
And it's, it is a shame that, you know, and as Colin said, you lose Merrill Park, you shouldn't collapse really defensively. You should have enough still about you to, to, to be able to cope. You lose Aguero, you should still be able to cope. Liverpool, look, they've been fortunate, which, you know, whichever way you look at it, they've not suffered significant injury to their main players. And when they have, it's not been significant. Someone might miss a few weeks, but that's it. I think the seven or eight of their main players have got through this season pretty much unscathed. Um, they lost Alisson for a, a few weeks, but they had a very able deputy in uh, uh, the fellow that come in, the, the old um, Adrian, the ex-West Ham keeper. So, you know, I'm not going to use that as an excuse. They've been um, better at that than us in winning games. It's as simple as that. You know, you can't get through this much of the season and got the number of points and wins that they've got. If you, if you've just simply been lucky, you've got to have a little bit about you as well. Um, to deserve that look. Just going to uh, stick with you, Ray, just for my next question. Um, I think it was one of the uh, city aggregator um, sites that pop up on on your Twitter uh, timeline um, from time to time. And they've reported that um, City are very, very close. <laughs> and I'm putting those, I'm putting that in scare quotes. Um, very, very cl- close to the signing of one Mr. Milan Skriniar, who plays uh, for Inter Milan as a centre-back, 24-year-old. And they are saying that this is going to be the big summer purchase, probably to replace uh, Otamendi and probably to be the partner in, in the future of Laporte. I just wondered, Ray, what uh, level of credence you would give to, to that particular report. Well, it's it's not been in any... I'm, I'm not sure it's been any reputable uh, newspapers. I'm not sure... There are many reputable uh, newspapers left these days. It's, the age is right, 24 years old, then that's okay. No problems there. The money they're talking is 80 million. A city going to buy the bullet? Are they going to say, well, we, we didn't do it with Maguire last uh, summer. We didn't go to the, ex- the extra levels to get him and we suffered. Um, if he comes, then you think and expect, is he going to be an automatic uh, second uh, choice after Laporte or is he going to be in and out with Fernandinho that means Osimendi can uh, will leave what does that do to John Stones because it, let's be honest if you've got um, Laporte um, you've got Skriniar you've got Fernandinho they're all above uh, John Stones unless he suddenly you know uh, develops a fantastic form until the end of the season. And then you've got Eric Garcia coming through. So that could also be the end of John Stones as well. And if Arsenal are willing to put a stump up 60 or 70 million for, for Stones, then uh, he might be disappearing as well. So Credence, I'm, it's one of those, it, you know, you, you just have no idea. Is he, uh, is he, is it agent talk because he's angling for a new contract and mentioning City and United and other clubs? may lead to his own club offering a bit more money I don't know so um, as, as some people say until he's I see him wearing a city shirt um, shaking uh, cheeky Big Eri Stain's hand at uh, the CFA I'm not going to believe anything Absolutely it's certainly an exciting prospect he comes with an excellent reputation and it be very exciting to, to see him but as Ray says at this stage a lot, I was going to say as well a lot can happen in the next four or five months look at last season Ben Chilwell it, was, it seemed like it was done and dusted uh, a few months before the end of the season it seemed like it was going to happen and then that fell off, off the radar entirely and it never happened 
Um, so lots of things can still change before between now and the end of the season. I mean, you know, look at it this way. If John Stone suddenly comes back into the form that he had at the start of last season and the season before, then Pep could say, well, why do I need Skriniar? Stones is back on form. I don't need anybody else. So, so much can change. Um, between now and the end of the season. Colin, one thing that made me laugh uh, in the media this week was, um, of course, whatever publication you look at online or, or in print, um, Manchester United are scrabbling around for, for pretty much everyone that you can think of. But one thing that really uh, made me laugh was that there was talk of uh, Carlos Tevez coming back. <laughs> and and uh, I mean, uh, of course... make a great so, partnership so, with Wesley Schneider. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, of course, there was the, the, a huge red replication of the famous uh, poster that was uh, up in Deansgate and it said welcome back to Manchester and uh, of course you had uh, Tevez there that was very very funny but um, I think we can um, I don't I don't think we have to talk about that um, particularly uh, very much but one question I do I do have for uh, Colin is that I think most people agree that City will buy a centre back in the summer there's not too much doubt about that I think uh, as uh, Ray said on the last uh, pod that it's extremely likely that uh, it will be the end for, for Otamendi yeah the, the question is about Fernandinho's role from now on I mean should we regard him now as uh, one of the centre back uh, rotating uh, players, or will he get back to doing what most people think that he does best? Well, uh, you know, it's not, I don't think it's that simple, is it? Because um, we've seen Pep change formation so many times. And, you know, when he plays three at the back, or, or sometimes he plays three at the back, and then Fernandinho sometimes is playing in the defensive midfield position when we're in, when, when the, uh, we're in possession, and, and sometimes he's playing in a centre-back role when we're not in possession. It gives us so many options, doesn't it? I mean, but you'd normally say that, that I think it depends on the game. We bought Rodri to be Fernandinho's successor in that defensive midfield position. He's in his first season with us, so we would hope by next season he's kind of upped his game a little bit. I don't think he's done I don't think he's done um, terribly badly this season. He's looked pretty composed and I think better we normally expect a player in his first season a pep team to look. Yeah, there's mistakes occasionally, but every player makes mistakes. So, so Rodley, you'd expect, would be first choice. Obviously, we've got Gundogan. And we'll, just to go back to the signing situation, of course, Gundogan was humming and in about or, or seemingly refusing to sign a new contract, a contract extension at the time he was injured, and then decided to sign because of the support the club had given him. So, so he's here now for a little while. I mean, he's not, Gundogan's not that old yet. I mean, that, that is Tommy Doyle's, well, it's not Tommy Doyle's position, but it's a, a position he's played in for the first team, and I've seen him play for the um, the, the under-18s really well. So, so you do wonder, and almost my, my first thought when I, when I heard Fernandinho signed an extension was, oh, does that mean we're not signing another centre-half or centre-back this summer or, or even this January? But, um, no, I mean, it gives you options, doesn't it? Because you can... You don't necessarily have to leave Fernandinho out if Rodri or Gundogan plays. You can play him at centre-back. And and he's so reliable. And I think he's going to be the captain next season. So, you know, I, I do I do either him or Kevin De Bruyne. So I think you've got to, if he's going to be the captain, um, he's going to be playing a lot, you'd imagine. Let's um, go over to Ray to talk about our upcoming game. It's uh, uh, not that long away now. We've we've got uh, effectively a 2-0 lead against Manchester United in this semi-final. And of course, we expect to get through. How do you see it going, uh, Ray? It's a tough one to call because um, what I don't want us to do is try and sit on our 2-0 lead. 
um, like we did against the Wolves. Uh, and, and I don't think we'll do that. I think uh, we know if we score, and especially if we score the first goal, it's extremely difficult for Man United to come back. Uh, it's a shame that away goals um, don't have any impact because United would have had to score three otherwise. But uh, if they if they win two nil, it, it, it will go to I think straight to penalties. Um, there's no extra time straight to penalties. United have to score. They have to. I can't see United trying to sit back and hit us on the break because we, we could just pass the ball around and not, and not be fussed about scoring. So they've got to go for us, and, I, and we've got to. I think take whatever chances come our way. Uh, you know, I don't want us to be gung ho, but I don't want us to be ultra defensive. But I, I want us to give go out there um, and and win the game um, and put it to bed nice and early, and so we can kind of. I, I want it to be, which is why I wanted us to win four or five at the last game. I want it just to be like a carnival atmosphere. We turn up and we stroll to, to, you know, we've already won after the first leg, but it's not like that. But I, I just hope that we. Don't take it easy and don't take our foot off the throat if we get a chance to put them down. How do you see this one going, Colin? Yeah, I agree with Ray. It's, I think it's important to... I think the danger was if we killed the game at Old Trafford, if we'd run four or five, uh, one or four or five nil, there, there would have been a, um, a temptation. I, th- I think it would have been an anticlimax. Uh, so so that 3-1 leaves it kind of nicely poised, doesn't it? But yeah, if we get that first goal, we've, got, we've basically got a two-goal lead in a one-leg game. So if we get that first goal, they need to score three. Uh, to, to penalties. If we yeah. score a goal, they need to oh, score. Oh, three, one, one. Yeah, I thought it was two, one, yeah. So if we get the first goal, they've got to score four to beat us uh, and three to take it to penalties. penalties. Uh, you know, if we get two, then I think the game's as good as one. So it'd be nice to be able to... It's always nice when you have the second leg at home because then you can get all the fans behind the team to celebrate a Wembley appearance. I mean, watching the Villa fans tonight, there was a pitch invasion. Uh, I, I don't think we'll, we'll we'll have one of those, given who we're playing. Yeah, so, so yeah, let's you know learn the lesson of the home league game and play like we played in the in the first leg of the tie and, and you know, run rings around them, get, you know, get a couple of goals, make the tie safe. And then, we, yeah, we can relax a bit, you know, be a bit disrespectful, you know, put the kids on, put a couple of the kids on and put Garcia on, put Foden on, put whoever else is in the squad, Tommy Doyle. You know, wouldn't Foden and Doyle love to play against United? I mean, that would be a dream for them. So, so, so act- yeah, let, let's get the game won. Uh, let's not relax too much because let's remember what happened in the Premier League, where where they did get two goals, uh, and we don't want we don't really want that again. So yeah, obviously it will be a different atmosphere to the Fulham game. You'd expect United will put up a lot more fight. Though I wouldn't object to you know someone being sent off in the um, <laughs> in the in the first ten minutes. <laughs> and of course, yeah, it may be our last chance to see Phil Jones in a United shirt. So uh, <laughs> we should take take that opportunity to give him a good send off if if so. Well. I'm sorry to I'm sorry to disappoint you there, Colin. But um, from my information, um, Phil Jones signed a new contract. Was it last season or season before? And I think it was a contract for five years. So um, I'm not sure you're going to get your your wish there. But but anyway, Jones is on his way. <laughs> well, that, I mean, you that, never know. We do. can't take the chance, can we? Well, I heard Barcelona are looking into Phil Jones. 
<laughs> Let's go to um, Ray for something else. Now, of course, this game we've been talking about is a Derby game, but um, Ray, you also mentioned before we started recording tonight about another Derby game between uh, City Women and United <laughs> Women. It was a bit of a thriller, wasn't it? Yeah, it was uh, a game over at Lee Sports Village. I mean, <laughs> it's quite interesting that neither the uh, the men's team or the women's team can play in the city of Manchester, but they tagged themselves with the with the name Manchester anyway. Um, and it was in the uh, FA Cup fourth round of the FA Cup, and, and City were, I think, far far the better team overall. Uh, we had numerous chances to score. United, as a lot of teams are doing, they, they play the ball around at the back quite a lot. And uh, I said this is a recipe for disaster, exactly like uh, Fulham. There's going to be a goal conceded from a mistake, and that's how we scored our first goal. Ellen White got the was gifted the ball on the edge of the box. Goaler came out, and she dinked it over her, and it bobbled in. Fantastic uh, finish, and she really celebrated in front of the fans. Uh, we we appreciated that uh, second half. Uh, we scored a second goal, um, uh, Ellen White again. Nice finish from a cross by uh, Lauren Hemp. Very, very good. And then United, actually, um, one of the, their best players uh, uh, on the day then came on. Uh, that was uh, Lauren James, who I think is still only, um, I think she's 18 now. I think when she played in the derby, she played in the derby the first game of the season, she was 17. Uh, but I think she's 18 now. She was... A revelation. She was on fire, uh, and we really, really struggled to call with her. She uh, brought, um, she, she got a, a goal back, brought the um, deficit down to two-one. And uh, there was a controversial moment where United thought they'd scored. Um, I think it was I can't remember her name. The the, the last who'd given uh, the ball away for our first goal. I think they, they thought she'd scored, but there's no goal line technology. They obviously they claimed the ball went over the line. It's very hard to see. Uh, it wasn't given. City went up the other end, and we scored almost immediately. Jill Scott got a deflected goal. Um, United pulled one back. I think in the last minute. Nervous five minutes of uh, injury time, but we you know we 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 held on and we were worthy winners. And it was it was a cracking game. Um, a big shout out to the official sports club who put on a free coach uh, for the fans. Uh, which I, um, I I took uh, you know advantage of, and it was a it was a fabulous day. I think it's probably only my third uh, women's game uh, this season, and is there is an issue with fixtures and uh, putting on fixtures on, for the women on the same day as the men's. For instance, we've got the Continental Cup semi-final against Arsenal tomorrow night down in London. Now, how many fans are going to go when there's a game against United um, yeah, at the same time? So it, it happens far too often in the season, and you know the the it feels like the women game, women's game, the administrators are slitting their own wrists um, by you know scheduling games on the same day, sometimes at the same time as or similar times to the men's games. It's really really tough. Like Sunday, it's Nick Cushing, the managers. Last game in charge, he's moving off to New York City FC uh, to work over there. And we're playing uh, at home against Arsenal, who uh, are in the top. I think they're second in the league at the moment. We're top on goal difference. Chelsea third. We're playing Arsenal, but it's it's two hours before the men's game. So if you wanted to go to uh, to both, you can't do it. Men are playing in, uh, against Spurs in London, so you can't go to both games. So 
you know, they, they are restricting the number of fans who can go to the, watch these games simply by bad scheduling. Uh, it's something I think they need to do. And then the women's game, it will uh, keep on picking up. Just uh, staying with um, Ray before we ask the final question to Colin Savage. Ray, do you know anything about these video images that I saw on Twitter of a foot race? Well, yeah, um, I'm going to talk about uh, where, where, where Moonchester apparently um, was the winner in a sprint um, against uh, certain other people that I didn't recognize. I mean, we've all be, <laughs> obviously, we've obviously, uh, a lot of people have been, would love to see um, a foot race between um, Kyle Walker, Leroy Sane, yeah, maybe Ra- Raheem Sterling. But um, what was that all about? Yeah, it was at halftime. I mean, they've got to fill uh, the halftime uh, drudgery with something since the demise of uh, Mike McLean, um, who used to host a lot of stuff at halftime. Um, it was, look, it's meant to be a bit of fun, but, you know, it wasn't fantastic, in my opinion, uh, some of the stuff they did. It was basically they had um, parent and child uh, had to volunteer to do this race. Um, and quite fortunately, my kids weren't there, so I didn't volunteer myself. I would have embarrassed myself. And yeah, basically I had um, three parents running in a race against Moonchester. The winner was to get, uh, I think they were, um, I think the winner was going to get to meet the players after the game or something like that. It was something special. Um, and um, it was it's quite funny. We were very disparaging against the um, slightly, um, very, well, right, the very balding, uh, slightly overweight, okay, very fat fella wearing the red vest. We thought he had no chance, actually. Um, he, he ran pretty, pretty well. But Moonchester, give them a, a little bit of a start and absolutely steamed uh, his way through to win quite comfortably going away. Now, some people think that might have been Kyle Walker uh, in the suit. I, I, I doubt it because my, my feeling was he was running like an athlete would run. So someone running on the track rather than the way a footballer would run, the way he was pumping his arms. For me, that was a more of a, a, a proper runner, uh, someone who's probably had some experience running on a track. And now they've thrown down the gauntlet to the West West Ham because West Ham they had a, a race between their mascot Hammerhead and the mascot for um, West Brom in their FA Cup game. And the West Brom mascot had no chance. I mean, the, I mean, the Hammerhead was just wearing a suit. The, the West Brom mascot and there must be. Um, uh, sponsored by Baxi or um, Glowworm or whatever, because it's a boiler. <laughs> the the West, West Brom mascot is dressed in a boiler suit. It, not, not a boiler suit, dressed as a boiler. And, you know, struggled to do that. I mean, the West Ham, the, the West Ham mascot was running backwards and taunting him. It was that far ahead. And so a City have thrown down the gauntlet because uh, West Ham are coming up to, to play against uh, Man City. Uh, in, a, in a couple of weeks' time, and so they they won a race between Hammerhead and Moonbeam. You know, it's really hard to say who who can win that race, but I tell you what, it'll be an interesting race for sure. Just before we go to Colin, um, while we have you on the on the topic, uh, where would your money be, Ray, in a, a three horse race between Walker, Sane, and Raheem Sterling? Wouldn't be on Raheem Sterling. What I'd do is I'd, I'd get Adama Traore to dress up as Leroy Sane. I mean, money would be on Adama Traore. I, I think Leroy Sane for me. 
Yeah, probably right, probably right. Anyway, guys, um, we're just uh, uh, coming to the end of this uh, podcast. Hope you've enjoyed it. But uh, I do want to bring up just one final point, and we'll have comments from both the lads uh, on it. I'm just going to direct this one to Colin Savage. Colin, I, one of the books that I really enjoyed reading, I'm sure you probably read it as well, was um, David Kahn's book, uh, Richer Than God, and it, it gave quite a lot of um, very useful and um, insightful uh, information into uh, the takeover uh, uh, pre and post. And um, I always imagined that uh, uh, well, uh, David Corn apparently, I believe anyway, is a, is a City fan and um, was sympathetic. What was he doing dragging up all of this um, FFP stuff for exactly? Well, I must declare an interest. I know David reasonably well. Uh, always got on with him well. Yes, he is a City fan. But, but David just doesn't like what modern football has become. And that's his prerogative. Um, obviously, we, we rejoice in it. Although, again, with the pep thing, we've seen a lot of people grumbling about ticket prices and the number of games and things like that. But David has this kind of uh, can't let himself enjoy the, the moneyed, pressured, soulless to him thing that is modern football. You know, he, he harks back to a time when it was played on um, muddy fields for those of those in Manchester. When I say something like Huff End, we'll know what that means. You know, playing football when I was at university and, you know, we play on a Wednesday afternoon on these muddy pitches with primitive changing rooms and, and things like that. And, and that was yeah, part of your, your upbringing, uh, I guess, if you played football but at all. Colin, I, I was just but, struggling to understand what was, what the point was uh, well, that he was trying yeah, to make. Yeah, that was, that, that was very, very strange. And, um, of course, one of the, the, the reason I respect David, uh, he gets a lot of stick from City fans, the reason I respect David, because he is a man of great integrity. So he will write stuff. He, he's not like James Pierce. <laughs> I, I always wonder how the Athletic hired him. But someone said probably because he brought a million clicks with him. Could James you tell Pierce our is, listeners who, who this James is? James Pierce is the Liverpool uh, writer, well, journalist, reporter who specialises. Uh, sorry, he's the reporter who specialises in covering Liverpool for this uh, subscription-based magazine, The Athletic. He, he originally came from the Liverpool Echo, where his speciality seemed to be writing trolling pieces, uh, having a go at us or other clubs, Everton or us or whatever. So so he's very much up Liverpool's backside. Whereas Sam Lee, who writes about City, Sam's not a City fan, he admits that, but his writing is very fair. So, so, but James Pearce, all he does is produce these powder puff pieces on how great Liverpool or how great an individual player is. There, there was never any hint, any hint of an even hint of criticism or anything that might be construed as vaguely negative about them. It, it kind of jars a bit with the rest of the athletic, which is usually a very, very good read. Uh, obviously, I follow the, the football side of things. Uh, they had an article about the um, City Food Bank collection uh, in the last couple of days, which is a really good read. James Pierce apart, David Conn, has always been, to me, uh, one of my idols, really, in terms of writing, because uh, I write about the sort of stuff he writes about, and he inspired me to do that. Uh, and we've often spoken, and I've got all his books. But this was a very strange one, because he wrote this piece about the FFP stuff and how we could face a ban. And now, now, originally, his his reporting of that was very good. And again, he takes great care to make sure his stuff is accurate. So, so, so journalists don't often check the facts, and um, David's very careful to check his file. But this one came out of nowhere. It made me very, was quite, I find it quite a little bit disturbing coming from David, not from the usual suspects, because it did sound like someone had given him a nudge to say, hey, you know, drop a story in about 
the, the FFP thing, just to um, you know remind UEFA uh, and, and keep the momentum going. And it did seem a strange thing that he would write this story out of nothing. There was no revelation in there because he, and at the time when the this first came up, which was well, it's nearly over a year ago now, it's about fifteen months ago, October two thousand eighteen, I think it first surfaced. Again, David was one of the few people. Instead of writing some hysterical nonsense, he actually went to UEFA. And UEFA, he, his source at UEFA, whoever that was, had basically said, we really don't want to go down this path again. We, you know, we've done this. It's done and dusted. There was no great enthusiasm for bringing this case again. Now, of course, there's all sorts of politics going on. We know that. We, we know that there's people whispering in Alexander Seferin's ear. We've said this before. Uh, and we know that City are, or City's lawyers, are ready to whisper in his ear, sweet nothing's in his ear. The assumption seems to be, as far as we know, that he's trying to get City to do a deal. And the interesting thing about the Con article actually was, this was really interesting, actually, I'm glad you reminded me of that. There were one or two details in there which I'd never seen before. Now, there was one about, it was bank statements. So, so PwC had been the UEFA auditors, if you like. They come in to go through our books. And according to PwC, They'd reported us back to UEFA because we'd failed to provide them with bank statements so that they could verify the trail of certain transactions. This sounds very sensational when you say it like that. City, you know, hiding information. But it turned out that they'd seen the information anyway. They'd seen the contract. And it was just a temporary thing. And after they reported back to the UEFA, the club said, yeah, we have the bank statements now if you want them. And they never did. Uh, so that was an interesting detail because I'd never seen that. So someone had given him that. But at the end of the article, he said, I spoke to both UEFA and Manchester City and neither commented. So you wonder if City didn't tell him. Uh, my initial impression was reading the story, it looked a bit bad for us. But the more I read on, the more I re realised it was actually relatively neutral in some ways. And, and that would be typical David Conn. He, he would write a story he'd been leaked by City, assuming they would do that. But he wouldn't hold back from making any criticisms that he had. So it wouldn't be a powder puff piece like the sort of, sort of James Pierce does for Liverpool. Can I give you a quick story about James Pierce? Yes, please okay. do. Well, he's, he put out a tweet today. Uh, basically saying, good to see LFC cutting ticket prices for FA Cup fourth round replay versus <laughs> Shrewsbury Town. Smart oh, move. Oh, my God. That's £15 for adults, OK? Remember that, £15 for adults. Here, £5 for kids. But hang on a minute. They're not playing their first team. They're playing their kids. They're playing their under-18s or whatever they're going to play, all under-23s. And they normally charge a fiver for them. So basically, they're charging an extra £10 for the, for the players that they normally charge a fiver for. What's going on? And rather than say, James Pierce saying, you know, let everybody in for free or make it a fiver, he's come out and said uh, it's a smart move to lower it to 15 quid. Powder puff, brown nosing. Um, well, you, you know, you can add your own uh, finishing line to that one. Yeah, so so just, yeah, sorry, yeah. Uh, that's typical James Pierce, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Typical of the, some of the brown noses around Liverpool. Interesting document I can share with you, actually, uh, at some point, but not now. But, um, <laughs> Yeah, so, so to finish off the story of the, of the David Conflict, officially neither City or UEFA, UEFA had talked to him, but he got these details, very detailed stuff I'd never seen, weren't, it wasn't in Der Spiegel as far as I'm aware, from someone. So you know, it sounds like, again, someone talking off the record, whether it was City, because he seemed to have stuff to me that seemed it could only have come from City, but some of the other stuff could only have come from a source that was on the other side of the investigation. So... It was a very strange story, and I'm still not quite 
still not quite sure what was behind it. I just don't know. Yeah, it was just something that I thought that was worth uh, bringing up, I'm it's sure. Because he reminded me, yeah. Yeah, it's just uh, City uh, fans would have probably had some questions. But um, I'm just going to give a couple of quick shout-outs uh, before we finish. First one is to your friend and ours, Asan Naim of the 9320 pod, who recently got married. Lovely pictures up there on Twitter. If you follow Asan, you'll know that he promised that he would be getting married wearing his brand new white trainers. So there, there, there's the picture. <laughs> I've not seen there's, that. The, there's the picture on, on Twitter. You can, you can find it if you check out uh, Asan with uh, him and his lovely uh, French bride. And they're coming down from the altar and uh, just moving moving through the crowd and there's Asan in a, in a lovely black suit and these white it looks like Nike trainers there and I know he was tweeting about the fact that he had asked his um, his wife if, if it was okay to get married in, in white trainers and she had given the okay I'm just having a look at the picture <laughs> They're not flat <laughs> trainers. They've got um, side to them. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Interesting looks, looks, yeah, the ninety three twenty pod guys are all getting married up now because it was not not that long ago that Stephen Tudor got married as well. Anyway, guys, um, the other thing that I do I cannot finish without mentioning is that listeners to the uh, pod know that. Um, me and my dad, we're, we're fans of Larn FC in Northern Ireland. Larn FC, for people who don't know, Larn, of course, are the, are the Manchester City of the, of the Irish Premier League because they've got a billionaire owner and they've started to really invest in players in the stadium and everything else. But, um, this is the first time for, for more than 40 years that Larn have beaten both Linfield and Glentoran in the same season. For people who don't know, the Irish Premiership has been dominated for decades by Linfield and Glentoran. And the last uh, time that Larne beat them both in the same season was 1975-1976 season. And uh, we just did it. we done Glentoran 2-1. And uh, as Ray has just mentioned, we beat Linfield 3-1 at our place. I ju- I'm just throwing that out there for my dad because, you know, it's just, you know, abs- he's absolutely um, thrilled with this. But uh, just letting you know, guys, follow Larne FC. They are the Man City of the Premier League. They've got a billionaire owner who's been investing in them. And, of course, they're getting the same flack that uh, that we did of all course. those years ago at the, at the takeover. But um, La- La- they might have won those two games. They're not doing are they doing particularly well in the league? Well, the thing is, they got promoted. They were they they basically won the championship last season, and uh, they're they're sixth actually. But uh, this uh, this is a season of consolidation for them. It's quite funny because the the Irish league actually splits in two at the end of March, and um, the top six teams then um, face off with each other. It's quite a strange system that I'll have to explain to you uh, next time. But Larne are safe. They've consolidated them themselves in the in the Premier League uh, this season and you can be sure that they'll be doing what Man City did back uh, all those years ago whenever they started bringing in people like David Silva and Yaya Toure they'll not be b- buying players like that but they will be investing heavily in the summer to make sure that they get up and compete for the title uh, next season but uh, if you're interested in stuff like that guys um, please follow Marshall Gillespie at NI Stats and uh, you can find him on Twitter but um, I don't want to talk too much more about that because it's not city related but anyway those are just a couple of points that i wanted to make but um anyway guys wonderful to talk through all of these points Uh, there's not going to be much distance between the publication of this pod 
and the publication of the next pod because um, myself, Colin and Ray will be back with you very, very quickly in a matter of days um, after the game against Manchester United. So we will be with you again then. So before we finish, as we always do, we just want to express our gratitude for the contributions of uh, our two Bolt from the Blue Men. And you have been listening to, first of all, Ray from the YouTube channel City Fan TV. Thank you so much for coming on, Ray. Oh, you're most welcome, Mike. It's uh, always a pleasure. Pain- painting my hair uh, green as we speak. <laughs> and you've also been listening to the king of the Kipax writer, uh, the City Matters Committee member and City Financial Expert, Colin Savage. Colin, thank you so much for coming. It's in. always a pleasure. Talk to you two wonderful guys. Thank you so much, guys. Well, we'll be back with you again, as we mentioned before, after the game against United. So until then, as we always say, have one on us and up the blues. It's about time that your mind took a hold